And we're live with our 165th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, the biggest thing is that both Ken and I hate daylight savings time. Right? We, <laughs> we came to that conclusion before going live. Um, because why, I guess, right? Like we've decided we're going to shift and actually do the hour jump ahead on Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. instead yeah. of Sunday at 2 a.m. Just just yes. because, right? <laughs> 2 a.m. No. on a weekend was the, the worst idea ever. That's terrible. I don't, I don't, Let's do it on that. I don't know. That's, that's what happens when we let Congress run things, Ken. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny, like, uh, so my son asked, he goes like, oh, is that, you know, the whole world or is that, and we're like, well, wait, I don't actually know. So we looked it up and it's like 70 plus countries that, that uh, actually adhere to daylight savings time. Um, yeah. But anyways, I don't understand it anymore. I mean, everybody stays up late anyways. Y'all have Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff, you know, there's isn't like wherever it's not really i don't think it's impacting i mean i don't know what, what do i know I'm, I'm not the daylight savings expert but yeah sucks i know that much makes me tired very tired yeah drinking like so much more coffee this week just to keep going <laughs> just to keep going well i and that's always the problem right the 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 spring forward right like when you jump an hour forward you've got to go to bed earlier but your body's not used to it. Like the, the adjustment period is what kills me both ways. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm like, man, you know, plus one for moving to Arizona, just so I don't have to deal with this crap twice a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think Hawaii, Hawaii too. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they just yes. think we're ridiculous, right. For handling any of it, but I don't know. I, yeah, and then you think about the amount of money that you that we spend on that from a technology perspective as well, right? Oh yeah, having to having to adjust clocks forward and back. I mean, we already deal with time zones, but then like depending when it is, that time may change from nine a.m. to eight a.m. to ten p.m. I don't know, whatever, right? Like, okay, so we don't shift twelve hours, but whatever, you get you get the you get the idea. So I'll say this: this was the first time where I was like. You know, because normally I'm pretty anti uh, just new things in general, <laughs> but especially like with smart devices. Um, but like we we have a couple smart devices in the house and it was nice. That was the one nice benefit is they're connected to some server that then updates their clock. So it's like for once I didn't have to change the oven clock, for instance. <laughs> you know, that's that's nice. It's like the only like decent benefit I'm I'm seeing out of those things. Otherwise, it's. <laughs> Well, you know, just, just leave them on because we use that to keep track of you, Ken. Don't worry about it. Ah, okay, perfect. You want to know about, yeah. No, that's... I, I like to know, you know, what temperature you're cooking your, uh, you know, your bakes on. I don't know, whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, everything else is like I'm having to manually adjust a bunch of stuff and it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just annoying all, all, all around. Yeah. Yep. So I think we can agree on that. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> And apparently this is the, the bitch today podcast. So you it's know, always you the bitch to today podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do, man. That's what I'm good at. It's like my number one talent. <laughs> Woohoo. But um, along those lines, well, no, 
jumping away from bitching, we will be in Omaha in a couple of weeks for Kernel Con. Um, if you haven't heard, we are teaching the code review course. And um, there are a couple of seats still available. So if you have been looking for an opportunity to join up and take that course, this is a good uh, this is a good place to do it and to also support KernelCon. And in addition to that, LocomocoSec, uh, we will be teaching the course at LocomocoSec as well. Yeah, um, and uh, there's going to yeah. be a decent turnout, I think. I think like we're, we're like our teams at GitHub, we're looking at it pretty uh pretty intensely for our first, you know, kind of group get together. Um, so there might be quite a few of us there as well. So I'm, I'm excited all around, like, you know, it's never a bad idea, never bad to go to Hawaii, but let alone to like go see people you haven't seen in a long time in person. That's like, just for, for me, that's huge. That's, that's a, I'm sure for a lot of people that's huge. Yeah. Just feeling some sense of normalcy back. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Very cathartic. It totally is. And if you're, I mean, if you're interested in knowing what those trainings are like, uh, we did post a video within the last couple of weeks, uh, Ken doing the walkthrough of the vulnerable task manager um, on our YouTube channel, on episode AppSex YouTube channel. You can go ahead and check that out. It's a, I mean, it's a longer, we've cut it up a little bit, but it's a longer like hour long video that kind of walks through the process of what we uh, of what we teach, but the hands-on training, obviously what you get out of it is uh, repetition and we teach you, you can ask questions, all sorts of things. So please come if you're interested, uh, we'd love to have you and love to talk about source code review. Speaking of which we did have a, an apps uh, after dark episode last week. Um, we didn't That's... promote it very much, but we did kick off another uh, review Right. Uh, maybe I should pull some of these up. So I was I actually going to ask you about that. Like I'm, I, I was thinking about that today. You know, getting your your kind of opinion on on what we what what we were able to dig into with Rocket. Like what you know you thought of the framework. What uh, you thought of doing a review on on Rust, the language itself. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because we never we never really got a chance to you know after that episode. How we were both fried. It was late at night, and we haven't really gotten a chance to catch up since then. So I definitely was curious to hear your your thoughts about everything and, and how it all kind of went down. Yeah, and I haven't actually posted the notes from that yet either, right? Um, the um, it was it was interesting, right? Um, it, it the um, was a lot more complex, right? Like I felt like we had to do a lot more background on it in that couple of hours. Um, and for those that missed it, we were looking at a, uh, rust rocket application, right? So rocket is a, um, rust web framework. It seems very similar to express or, um, flask, right? For Python, um, node express, uh, but it, so it's not quite as opinionated as rails or some of the other frameworks that we look at, but where Ken and I are both pretty much rust newbies right like we we haven't done a lot in rust i mean we're able to read it it's fairly easy to read from it's an interpreted language i believe yeah but it gave us i don't know right like it, it, there was a lot of kind of i don't know i you're asking me this question i haven't i don't have a good formulated opinion on it right it felt useful to me i came away 
knowing a lot more about Rocket, about how Rust applications, you know, are laid out. Um, and but I didn't feel like we discovered anything that groundbreaking, to be honest with you, right? Um, I mean, last time it was PHP, and you know, PHP is a dumpster fire. We all know that. Uh, but this time around, it you know, I, I think it was a lot more true to life as far as what I do on a daily basis from a code review perspective. Because in two hours, I didn't really get into the vulnerabilities. We got into a lot of what are the basics of the language, what are the patterns and anti-patterns that we should be we should be recognizing, what are some of the interesting endpoints, how do we identify routes? You know, it was all very useful. Um, but it wasn't groundbreaking, I guess, is where I'm at with it. What about you? What What were your thoughts? So I was actually curious to look up first uh, your your comment about it being possibly interpreted. And it's weird. It, it looks and behaves somewhat like an interpreted language, but they call it a statically typed, typed compiling compiled language. But yeah, I felt very like there were meta programming aspects to it um so I, I i agree with you like in the way that it felt um and i was trying to clarify that myself because i was actually curious we never really dug too deep into the language itself it was you know primarily fo so like for people that don't know when we look at the language we're looking for specific types of behavior and nuances how how it does it access like system commands for instance things like things like that um, so those are usually where if we're doing a review and we've never looked at a language, we'll kind of dig in there. Of course, there's like, there's obviously things where, you know, you get into like, uh, some function call and you're like, wait, I need clarification on how this is behaving stuff like that. Sure. But we're not like trying to go deep, deep, deep into the language. We're curious more about the framework. Uh, so that to answer your question, oof. Yeah. So I thought the uh, the ranked index was dicey on on routing. That was interesting to me. I thought like that could really lead to a lot of uh, problems in the future. Um, so that was the first thing that kind of stuck out to me. Um, it did have a lot of like configuration files for security things. So clearly a security had been thought of, you know, there was CSER content security policy, those types of things that are configurable via config files. I think it was structurally, you know, I've looked at a few Rocket apps now after having seen that one and just like not really looked, looked, but like just looked at their structure at a high level. And they all seem to be structured pretty much the similar similar way. Um, so it's somewhat opinionated, I think, in structure. Um, I was surprised there was a web framework for Rust because, you know, from my understanding, Rust was more like uh, Golang and that it's supposed to be like a performant backend type thing is, was what I thought. Um, so to see a web framework that was fairly robust built out was surprising. Um, we didn't get to dig too far into the ORM. So I actually am curious about like more around the ORM and um, the authorization stuff was the one that really seemed a little like uh, more than a little... Suspect, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's super strange how how it happens, and the fact that, I mean, one thing I'd like to clarify is if you know an error occurs during authorization, does it then send that request onto the next ranked route, which would be it, yeah, exactly. That's that's where I was incredibly problematic. Yeah, was <laughs> yeah. the 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 ranked routing stuff? Yeah, that you, that you're calling out was super interesting. Um, and and if people listening have. Uh, questions about it feel free to jump into slack or you know watch the episode and then we can talk about it but the you know basically there's a failover system for routing built into this rust rocket framework so uh, you know anything that's rank one gets served up first um but you know 
based on whether or not that matches, right? Like the, like the path parameters or whatever else it can actually fail into a second rank or a third rank or a, you know, rank 10, right? Like something behind the scenes, it's almost like a fail open to a, you know, 404 error. Right. And yeah, there's, there's all sorts of questions that both you and I have around that, um, Mm -hmm. that the next after dark episode, I'm sure we'll dig into more, uh, you know, it, it may be interesting at some point to put together a vulnerable, you know, rust application and play with it as well. Right. Um, just because it is, it, it's an interesting case that we haven't seen before, but the authorization going along with that feels just so problematic. Um, it does. It really the does. Decorators and yeah, you know, if you can get, uh, if you can get something to hit that lower ranked or the, yeah, the secondary or the failed, you know, page and give you access to one of the higher ranked ones. I don't know, right? Like there's gotta be a way around it. I'm sure. Um, it might be my least favorite way to define routes, you know, because that whole failover is like, oh, if you have like the one example they, they used to explain rank is like if you had forward slash users, forward slash email or forward slash users, forward slash UUID and you send in an email value and maybe like the UUID ones ranked first uh, and you sent in an email value and it tries to convert that string parameter in the URL you submitted to like a parse it on into like some integer value or whatever um, or just whatever specific formatting that's not a string and and is a UUID. And if that fails, then it's like, oh, you, so you actually probably meant to send it to the forward slash users, forward slash email endpoints. Let me forward that on. (laughs) Like having multiple patterns that a request could match makes little to no sense to me. I don't like that. I want to be very strict in my route. Like I want to know exactly where a request is going to hit and know that it's only going to hit that one route and not another route there for, for so many reasons, but that I got to be honest with you. That's the thing I like the least about rocket so far is just how they do that. I think. And, and, and out of all the frameworks I've reviewed, that might be one of the the worst, in my opinion, ways to, to have to define a route. But anyways, you know, maybe there's some coolness I'm missing and something it gives you that I'm totally missing and, you know, maybe that's just my genius beyond my my level of comprehension. But that must it, be it. That yeah. must be it. Because <laughs> at first glance, it looks like, wow, this is this is madness. I don't like this at all. I like, <laughs> anyways. Because weird things happen, man. You can't like make this. What is the one principle we know about code coding and and web security it, uh, or just security issues in general when it comes to code? Too much flexibility equals probably a vulnerability. Always yep. like you overload a function's purpose, probably going to be vulnerable. You overcomplicate things and don't define, you know, hard, hard lines here and there going to have issues. So having this like flexible idea of ranked routes, is just, it's too much chaos for me, Seth. I can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I like, I really do. I, I think it would be an interesting exercise just to build that out a little bit. I, I mean, this could even be an example in their code review course, right? On like, what does rank actually mean and how can it fail? Because it, I mean, it's very similar to some of the other patterns and regular expression style routing that we've seen in the past where a developer without, you know, proper experience or taking proper precautions ends up opening up huge holes that were completely unintended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, and I refer I thought, to episode yeah. two for the for for an example of after after dark, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's see. That wasn't RC five. Um, I I did pop a. Yeah, if, if people are interested, you could go read that requests the ranked routing in that requests um, guide, right? In Rocket's guide. But I, you know, that being said, I I do expect there to be more interesting stuff uh, when we do the next After Dark episode because we will start to do the source to sync tracing, uh, the vulnerability checklists. Uh, I don't even think we really got into authentication like registration flows or you know a lot of that because we were just trying to understand what the hell was going on, especially with ranked routing when we got stuck on that and went down the rabbit hole. So. <laughs> yeah no uh yeah we i mean just trying to figure out like how routing is defined and nuances and then like the authorization decorators how they're defined and how they operate and listing those all out and just getting to know like how things are done it took a yeah a lot of work because we've never seen that framework and i've never really done much with rust so there's a lot to learn steep learning curve Steep yeah. learning curve, but at least you know how to do it now if you watch that episode. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, cool, good. So, let's see what else did we want to talk about today? Uh, we so covered we the trainings, yeah, yeah. Let's look um, at our news, yeah. Look at the news. Oh, actually, let's talk about we 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 neglected to mention the um, top when oh, top 10 web hacking techniques of 2021. Uh, a few episodes ago, Ken and I talked about the nominee list that Portswigger had put out of the different top 10 techniques. And they have since released the list. Ken's dropping it up there. Um, and I, so I wanted to ask you, Ken, right? Like just first glances, what those 10 are. What are your thoughts? Oof. Um, agree disagree now what's the spirit of the top 10 i think that's one thing i don't really know is it just like these are oh these are just these are just uh interesting right so hold on let me look at the um, most this is for research yeah. it's to identify the most significant web security research released in the last year okay i don't know what the parameters for most significant really consist of um but but in, in the spirit of just winging, winging it. And uh, so like, I think dependency confusion being number one makes a lot of sense. This is something, and actually there's a, there's a, there's an article I think we might get to today, maybe not, but about um, markers for uh, potential, potential to be compromised packages, which, but anyways, like this is actually a, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um so it's by Alex Beerson. I'm trying to open this link real quick. Um, you mean from the OWASP or from the top 10 there? I want to say OWASP top yeah, 10. That's how I like, the... yeah. 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 No. So um, this is uh, basically when, um, uh, yeah, this is the, what am I trying to say here? Hold on. I'm trying to open the actual article and for some reason I'm having some difficulty doing that. Is it well, loading for you? It is. I know we, we like, talked about it. We had a whole that. episode on this. 
Yeah, because we we talked all about it um, with how it was possible to basically overtake or, you know, use names of packages that were not um, registered in the public repositories, right? And then insert your code into those packages to take over CICD pipelines is really what it boils down to. So as those automated systems pull down packages, if they're set up to pull from a public repository first and then an internal repository, if the package name exists for a you know, a custom package that's local to your company, but it, re- it tries to look that up in the public repository, it'll pull down whatever's first, right? Um, and that's where we got some of the like package repository pinning and other things that were implemented in Ruby and other places, right? Like, Yeah, uh, I was going to say yeah. NPM, Ruby, you know, a bunch of package managers put, it, put in some protections to, to prevent this. Um, you're right. Yeah, that's. I think that's what makes it uh, an impactful bit of research is that, you know, it did push out some changes to the ecosystem. And I think if you can impact one e- ecosystem alone, but let alone multiple, that's pretty significant. It's a good. Um, it's a good outcome. Yeah, uh, I have no opinion on the new attack surface on Microsoft Exchange because I had never heard of that. Um, that's honestly, you know, being honest, that's just completely new to me. Flawless intro to exchanges architecture and attack surface with reliable exploits and huge impact. Inspiring read if you want to start serious research and a can of worms that changed the way many looked at this popular mailing solution reminded us even the most secure looking apps can be broken easily if you're persistent paying attention to the, all the details. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I know opinion in there. Um, HTTP2 being item number two makes sense. I mean, HTTP2 has been, uh, yeah, pretty fun um, in terms of like, you know, various things that are coming out of it request smuggling. This one was about, I think, uh, converting between binary and ASCII protocols, fun stuff like that. Um, yeah, cool. I mean, that makes sense. Exploiting clients. So number four, exploiting client side prototype pollution in the wild. Um, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, hidden OAuth attack vectors. So this is one that I, I think we talked about recently where there was like this burp scanner, either last episode of the episode before where there's now a burp plugin for burp suite, uh, that has like the top, um, it's like OAuth scan basically. And it just sort of like looks for the top uh, OAuth issues that you'll see. And I think they listed something like 15 major issues in that plugin. Cache poisoning at scale. Again, cache poisoning is something we're very uh, interested in. Um, and like, yeah, it's that makes sense. JSON interoperability, practical HTTP smuggling, 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 smuggling. Buzzing, I, oh man, I, I hate to say it, but I'm just so not interested in XSS anymore. <laughs> I'm just so not interested in it, but you know, it's cool. Fuzzing for XSS via nested parsers. I don't mean to be like, oh, this doesn't matter. Of course it matters. It, it definitely matters. I'm just saying like me personally, I'm a little XSS out. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get excited after what, 15 years of XSS, right? You know? <laughs> and everybody has XSS. I mean, that's why you just put a content security policy in place. I'm not saying that's like, it pretty much does solve the majority of the issues you're going to come across if you do it right. But um, still, I mean, I don't know, man. Like if you have a good CSP, you have, you know, done some intelligent design decisions with like how cookies are exchanged and, and configured um, and to include your domain names and subdomain names and how you've configured things. Like if you've done it 
intelligently. I just, I, I don't care as much about access anymore. Um, but yeah. anyways. I, I mean, the funny thing is, right, like a recent test that I did, we actually found stored cross-site scripting. Like, you know, there was a there was a component on the web pages that allowed for HTML, um, basically markup, right? You know, you're designing okay. your own page within the application. There's like your biography or whatever that you can write. And they would allow for, you know, HTML elements within that um, when they were actually, you know, the, the form itself or the form control wouldn't allow for HTML characters. But then the second you sent it to the API on the back end, it did, and it would execute those. Um, but it was like, it was only certain things like script tags wouldn't work because they were adding it properly to the page. But, right. you know, image like, you know, on errors, on mouse over events, all that kind of stuff worked like a champ, right? Yeah. Um, and it's... I, I, but that's just it, right? Like even nowadays with modern frameworks, you're going to find edge cases where XSS exists. And, sure. You know, in this it's case, just right? It's a hard problem to yeah, completely it, solve. Yeah. It is. And then we start talking to the developers about it and they're like, oh, is there, again, this is like a development 101, right? Is, oh, is there a library that we could just put into place that'll take care of that for us? And I'm like, CSP. Uh, CSP, CSP, yes. Yep. Yep, there's CSP, but also like, can we just at least talk about what the problem is first, right? Like, you know, like why is it that you have to accept HTML, you know, characters on these forms? Because you don't, right? Like, just, like... <laughs> nope, you sure don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not mandatory or required at all. Yeah. No, is there is what is the business case be, be, behind this? Oh, it's because you want to be able to bold something, or I, like I'm just like I I don't get it, right? So mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, yeah. By the way, I was gonna say um, I don't know if I'm super familiar with H the number nine, which is H H. Oh God, I can't talk. HTTP smuggling via higher HTTP versions. Um, that one might actually be something I've not seen before, and I'm clicking on the link now because I'm curious. So yeah, that might actually be something new. Have you seen this? I haven't uh, looked at that one. No. Emil Lerner. Um, well, they've got the the slides link there. So um, yeah, I don't know. Like this is not one I'm super familiar. Gain a lot of attention after James Cattle talk on uh, attacker sends a malicious request is parsed. As a single request by the front end, it's forwarded to the back end. Back end parses it as two separate. Well, that, yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, this is this is one of the things we've been talking a lot about is that we're having these mismatches in what one app sees versus another versus like based on how they actually parse data. It's just becoming a more and more prevalent issue, and harder to detect statically and easier to de detect manually. And obviously, you and I tend to do more of the static analysis, but. Uh, no AppSecer is complete without uh, also knowing the how to test dynamically. It's all about content. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I yeah, I, get, like, I have to read into this. Yeah, because they've got like HA proxy, once they size. Yeah, quick. So HTTP3 flaws uh, look very similar. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, Again, it's I parsing mean, issues. Yeah, it is parsing issues, right? Like it, and you know, it's the implementation of the new protocols, 
okay that we we that we where we tend to have these problems um i don't know what are your everything. thoughts on this top 10 by the way um I, like i dig the the top 10 that that come out of port swigger i like at times it does feel like we've got um like like orange size stuff right it's super interesting i don't know how much that actually moves the needle on you know some of the other techniques that are in there right like uh, the stuff with the dependency confusion right like feels more impactful um even though you know microsoft exchange i know it's used everywhere um so like i got, i kind of go back and forth because it you know it it is that really a web you know, web security research vulnerability that's being pushed. Um, you know, I, but I, I, there's always going to be bias in any top 10 list, right? You know, the, the guys that are, that are creating the list have their favorites and actually have the, you know, the stuff that's interesting to them, which rightfully so, you know, they, you know, they probably know orange side, they've probably read the articles and decided, Hey, you know, it, it, it spurred some thoughts for them, which is great. Right. Um, and, but then I also go back to like, okay, there's the OWASP top 10. Um, right. Now, th again, they don't do that on a yearly basis. It's a different format. You know, it's a, you know, a um, awareness document of what can fail. Uh, so it's not as topical per se on a year to year basis on new security research that's up and coming. Um, but obviously the request smuggling stuff as you know, it's been a couple of years now and it's still a topic for discussion and there's, we're still pushing the edge cases there. Um, I, I was thinking that I was going to see more of like uh, package management stuff or um, yeah. Cause I, we did have the one dependency confusion, but I'm not seeing like supply so or software supply chain attacks in here as much. Yeah. Um, which which was surprising to me. I think that was the the biggest omission that I found in there was, while we've had such a focus on you know take over like malicious packages and npm and you know how that's actually driving application security and yet it's it feels a little bit like it's missing from this list. Maybe it's not as interesting uh, to this group, right? Um, but to me it is. So I like, that's, that's the one that I would think I would expect to see more of that isn't in there. Right. Yeah, sure. No, I agree with you. I am, am surprised as well. I mean, that was the biggest issue we've really faced in the last couple of years. Um, I would say, um, at least as a blue teamer who has to constantly deal with like, Oh, this is all jacked up now. And someone and took over this <laughs> and someone gave, access as a maintainer to somebody else who shouldn't have had it and uh count takeover sprees on maintainers and just you know all the stuff that's really occurred it's it's not in one type of attack it's been many types of attacks on on the supply chain but the ultimate root causes or sorry the ultimate not root cause the ultimate uh ultimately what happens there uh in terms of as a as a result is you know malicious code running in a production application and that's frightening yep, of that's, course that's, yep yeah and that's a bad thing right and so like maybe it's not maybe it's because those techniques are already known so it's not like a new vulnerability that's popping up 
which is sure. I, which kind of gets to you know my other point here was we didn't even see log for j in there right um <laughs> which <laughs> I, I mean it came out in december so sure that was probably like maybe that'll be the beginning for next year um but again those like core fundamental crocs and socks of application security aren't aren't always the most sexy right like the most New security research is always gets prevalence or always gets uh, priority over, you know, disciplined security, right? Mm, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, I think it's, a. I mean, in general, I think it's a good list. There's a lot that's in there to learn and actually read up on. So, um, we'll probably do deeper dives on some of these articles that are interesting to us, especially if we haven't covered them so much in depth. Um, a couple of those items we have talked about within the last year, uh, but some of them are new, so it might be useful to actually dig in. Because um, I, I remember talking about the JSON interoperability stuff was interesting. Um, but like the, yeah. Some of those we may want, we may want to dig into a little bit more. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I would say if you're ever implementing OAuth, you should take a look at this uh, hidden attack vector OAuth uh, article that was linked from that top ten. Like I do find OAuth is something that a lot of us. I mean, I definitely look at, and our team looks at a lot of OAuth related things. So it is good to have kind of a handy like hit list of of things that are you should be concerned about or that are possible to. Uh, perform against some uh, OAuth application, some app. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say, man, I am really dragging today. This damn daylight savings. Time. I blame it all on daylight savings. Time. And definitely not on the fact that I stayed up way too late watching Dune. Cause I couldn't sleep. So. <laughs> the, the 1984 version or the new one. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with the new one. So yeah. Come on. Sting no, you... will always be my fade. Ratha. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had people like, what, 30 when that movie came out? <laughs> uh, uh, for those listening, Seth just gave me the middle finger. And it was deserved, uh, for sure. Cool. Uh, do we actually, I want to post real quick, just because we don't have to discuss it at, at, at you know, ad nauseum. But let me, let me grab this. Uh, if Slack will allow me, I want to give the indicators of a potential for there's this research. I just thought it was really cool that someone actually, uh, okay. Yeah, I found it. Um, so this is a data study that reveals predictor of supply chain attacks in NPM repositories. I just thought it was cool. Um, let me open that up. Uh, I read through this this morning, um, was, was just thought, thought it was, uh, I mean, it's mostly common sense stuff, I think, but it's, it's interesting. So, Weak links in the NPM supply chain. So this is uh, from security researchers and security researchers and academia and industry are actively investigating attacks in ecosystems to produce. Uh, to pro sorry, to propose sol solutions. These approaches seem to be based on specific instances of malicious attacks, typo squatting, dependency confusion, things like that. Right. So, getting to it. Uh, they found six key indicators that an NPM package may be compromised by malicious actors. One. Uh, there were 2,818 maintainers whose domains had expired. 
an attacker can purchase an expired domain and use it to hijack the maintainer's account unless it's protected by two-factor authentication. So once again, going back to our last episode when we gave guidance on uh, guidance to package maintainers on how to secure themselves, that was kind of like the number one thing. Use 2FA, do, use an authenticator app, don't use uh, SMS. Number two, about 2% of the packages included install scripts. So uh, included install scripts. Man, I cannot speak or read or apparently do anything. <laughs> I'm blaming it all on daylight savings time. So. Anyways, yeah. <clears throat> install scripts run automatically before, during, or after a package installation. Yeah. So this is definitely somewhere. Actually, we've struggled with this in our bug bounty uh, program, if I'm being completely honest. Um, not, st- I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely where we've, spent some time trying to find where the line is between, you know, there's this idea of, well, if you're downloading a package, know that it is software from someone else. So there's some level of, you know, risk that you're you're undertaking and, and all of that. Um, But there's also this, this weird thing with install scripts where, you know, if, if, if you just download it and it can do some pretty malicious things uh, then, you know, there's that's starting to cross a boundary of like, how can we better secure the product for, for something like that. So there's, there's always, there's that weird line of figuring out what's your responsibility and what isn't. But in any case, install scripts are, uh, uh, something, you know, we're yeah, always, uh, conscious of because it, it can kick off, uh, downloading, giving back doors, downloading malicious things, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Number three, around 59% of the packages were unmaintained for two years. This is a big one. Like if it has not been touched in two years or more, uh, I would consider that package for sure at risk. Uh, uh, Inactive maintainers might be targeted with account hijacking attacks without noticing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Number four, a small percentage of the packages had too many maintainers, which increases the chance of at least one maintainer's account being compromised. I think this, Seth, falls under the principle of more attack surface. That's all it really is. Like It's just each person that has access is one more addition to your attack surface. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. What are your thoughts on, on that part? Oh yeah. It, it's, I don't know, too many maintainers, right? Like we, we have a tendency, especially in the open source world that we want to spread the love, right. Or we want to spread the responsibility. So it's not just us because that, because of the fact that people move on, like life gets busy, they stop maintaining packages. So they're, they're, their thought process behind it is, oh, if someone's interested, we're going to bring them on and you know give them full control or give them access. Um, and that's where we've seen a lot of those pop up in the past. Is hey, you know, they, you turn over a popular package to somebody you thought was going to be a you know a great maintainer, but turned out to just have malicious intentions and wanted to take over a popular package, right? Um, and I mean, help. the next, not yeah, it does not help. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, that feeds into number five as well, right? The too many contributors, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the more active that a project is, the more churn that it actually has. If there is only a small group that's doing trusted changes. Yeah. It's going to be a problem, right? Like, because I mean, in general, right? You think about getting overwhelmed. Think about how you're tired because of daylight savings time. Now would be the perfect point to fish Ken, right? You know, to send him a whole bunch of links, make him (laughs) his email is, is, uh, no, just kidding. Um, Yeah. 
but it's out there. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the busier that you get, the less time that you have to spend on each of these different, you know, items and the less attention that it's going to get when the new package or the new code comes in. Um, and Charles, yeah, I can I can totally see that in the uh, free, BD, free BSD world, right? Um, it's not as busy of an ecosystem as some of the others. So especially like the unmaintained packages or packages that haven't been updated for a couple of years to keep up. Um yeah, it, you know, somebody takes it over, does malicious stuff with it, like the control becomes a huge issue. And then what was number six there? Oh, yeah, that feeds right into it, right? Yep. Top 1% maintainers are overloaded, owned an average of 180 packages. And and, oh, and I did want to bring this up. I always love to bring up, uh, like when I'm training and talking about um, open source packages and just... Um, in general, like, you know, security, like security configurations, <coughs> oh, excuse me, modulecounts.com actually just does a monitoring of the different modules in different languages and package management, package managers, right? Um, NPM, average growth in the last week, 192 packages a day. By a Man, they're beating everybody by a, a lot. A thousand, yeah. Th not a hundred, a thousand and ninety-two, right? Like by ten times, five yeah. to ten times more than anything else. Java is the closest other one at two hundred a day, two twenty-one a day. Um, Java and Python are pretty close there, but NPM is just insane. The number of packages that are being pushed in there on a daily basis, and not just like the the fact. The problem that I've got here is that it it's new packages, right? It's not just, hey, old packages that are being updated, popular packages that are being updated or, you know, withdrawn or whatever. This is new packages being added to the repository. Uh, and I always went back to, you know, the, the node security project, Lyft Security Days, when Adam and his team were trying to secure NPM all by themselves. And there was, what, three or four of them. And at that time, there was 600, 700 new packages a day. And I, like, it's, it's a, this is the problem that you are facing over there and taking over. <laughs> I'm NPM. laughing That's because all. I'm like literally in the process of reviewing <laughs> a thousand packages say, a day. Yeah. No, but uh, maybe NPM <laughs> infrastructure and apps, but whatever. Um, yeah, actually, this is my life right now. So, um, and I don't know how much I'm allowed to even say about it, but yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with, so I feel Adam's, uh, I feel a bit <laughs> of, pain. uh, not, I don't want to say pain, but I mean, in terms of like the responsibility, I feel a little bit of that for sure. Uh, so, but no, we've actually, I mean, here's the thing we do actually have for, for NPM folks, like we've got some really, really great people, uh, working on that team, um, and again, I don't even know if I'm allowed to call them out individually or anything like that. So I'll just say that we've got, I'd love to, but we've got some really sharp folks that are doing some really cool things to prevent account takeovers and, you know, just improve uh, some, some, some things around accounts, we'll say. So um, I'm, I'm, and also just like general effort to 
you know, because of the, like you mentioned, the level of activity that ecosystem sees is just trying to do more to, to keep it secure. So just because like if you're, this is always going to be the case, right? If you're doing really well, you're going to be a target. Yep. Just the way, just the way it works. So nobody wants to tap, nobody wants to target the package ecosystem that's putting out like, you know, 10 packages a month or whatever, you know, nobody cares. But if you're doing it, you know, daily pushing out new packages and the, the, the four figure range or more than that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty significant. So, yep. And that's where NPM lives right now. Yep, exactly. Well, and th- I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? Like I wonder, I know NPM has put a lot into that. And so I start to wonder, okay, you know, as there's more scrutiny that's pushed onto NPM, are you going to see more people attacking um, like the PyPI, like the, uh, Python, Python package manager or crates like rust. Um, some of those that maybe are not quite as, you know, scrutinized, um, and don't have as much, yeah, as many eyes on them, uh, because it isn't as large of an install base. I don't know though. Right. Uh, like that's, yeah. So I can say, <laughs> yeah. How, well, how much can I, you say? I, I, yeah. I don't know. Here's crates is an interesting one that you brought up because there, I know of a few package manage uh, maintainer maintainers of the, the package manager ecosystems themselves, like crates and NPM and that, and I know that there are folks who are talking to each other about how I know that they're like similar to how, you know, I, I had mentioned on this podcast and I'll mention it again once we actually have the locked in information, like we we do this AppSec council where it's like similar technology companies uh, and we've got AppSec folks from each one of like, you know, um, like the event's going to be with, I can mention one of them with like Netflix, right? One of the, one of the, because, um, you know, it's, it's primarily driven by this event, primarily driven by Netflix. I can definitely mention them as a company. Um, but we get this AppSec council and they're doing something similar for, for uh, package um, maintain, basically communicating amongst, amongst these, these package manager maintainer, the ecosystem maintainers is what I'm trying to say. Um, so they're, they're, they are doing their own, like sort of, uh, what are you doing? What, here's what we're planning on doing, kind of communicating out how they're preventing, uh, risks. So that was a news to me as of like, uh, I think last week or the week before. And, and I was, that was very promising to hear. So I was like, that's amazing. You know I mean? I am privy to some information like that. And that's one thing I, I feel comfortable sharing, you know, is that, that, that they are all communicating together or, or several of the big ones are, or any, and newer ones are communicating and learning from the, you know, the, the bigger ecosystems that have been around for a bit. Yeah. Which is, I, I mean, it's good. That's what we would expect to see. Um, right. Like if everyone's helping everyone else out. Um, but there, there is, it's just a huge target, right? Like it's, it goes back to a watering hole attack. Right. That's like we've always we've always said this. Right. Like if you, um, you know, you go back to my early days <coughs> where we had names for vulnerabilities that no one uses anymore. Um, but the watering hole attack is the idea that, like, if I can poison the water hole that the developers come to, I don't have to go target each of the developers separately. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the idea here. It's why we target IDEs. It's why, you know, attackers target tools as opposed to, you know, phishing users. It's why GitHub is a target or, you know, as opposed to, you know, their website or, you know, some small 
repository that they've set up by themselves. It's good. Like it's a, it's a wider effect, right? Um, sure. Same reason why people build malware for windows over Mac OS. There's just a larger, larger target. So. My son asked me that about that recently. He was like, uh, so are Macs more secure? And I was like, oh, don't ask me. Like, you don't understand that question <laughs> enough. Like, hold on, wait, we got to like, there's a whole, I was like, let me get my whiteboard out and we'll have a discussion. <laughs> I got to preface gonna, this conversation gonna... <laughs> with all this information. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to kill security for you right now <laughs> at age nine. I see my wife's just eyes rolling and just one wanting to walk away from i was like oh i'm glad you asked <laughs> no um yeah no actually i did um uh i did actually start doing lock picking with him um nice uh i think it was last week we we got one of those clear you know mm-hmm. starter learn how to pick box sets off like amazon or something um so and, you know like he was surprised at how easily or how easy it is to, to unlock some of these locks. And I was like, yeah, that's the world in a nutshell. That's, that's, that's why we do what we do. Uh, you know, it's, you'd be surprised how easy these locks are like metaphorically and literally and physically, yes. And physically how, how locks are, uh, how you would expect something to be secure and it's not, you know? So yeah. And like dashing his, his dreams and, creating a cynical nine-year-old. So <laughs> there you go. You know, ruining, <laughs> ruining life for the, yeah. for the next generation. <laughs> uh, Stefan level nihilism to a nine-year-old. Yeah. Yes. No, no biggie. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're going to be teaching him like some Slavic languages next and, you know, know then right? it's all over. Right. You can't trust the system. Adults are idiots. Security is like, you know, is an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, not trusting. No, no. Uh, we have an article related to that, right? Uh, here, we'll throw this one in here. Oh yeah, uh, yes. Good segue. See, that was on. Good segue. Yes, awesome. it was on purpose. <laughs> um, so, because of everything that's going on, and this this pulls me back to the, you know, the '90s, and you know, export and you know, encryption export rules that happened um, that we weren't allowed to actually like, you know, send AES encryption routines to anywhere outside the U S that they wanted everything as triple des so that they could continue to break it, that the government could. Um, But this uh, in and of itself is pretty chilling, right? Uh, The fact that Russia is now issuing its own TLS certificates. Um. Yes. Yeah. There's not, that's not, that doesn't worry me at all. You know? Yeah. What was he said? <laughs> Full trust in the government, you know, that, that never goes poorly. Right. Yeah. No, uh, no, never, never a problem. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, that's really, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. They got kicked off. Like, it's not something I had thought about, you know, you, you hear about, all right, well, you're taking off the Swift registry or the Swift system and you can't um, yeah. can't be a part of the world's financial system. And they're about to default on like, I don't know, like $112 million payment or something like that. <clears throat> you hear all these things and you kind of like think about that. But man, I had never really thought about like, oh, we're not supporting you as a certificate authority, making it worse for the citizens of that country, especially, I mean, dude, Imagine trying to have any form of online dissent 
when your when your government when it's all plain text. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but it's just so <laughs> shitty. It's so terrible, and I hadn't thought about that, you know, until this article. Um, make sure yeah, you use but... the Yandex browser that trusts the new Russian CA. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! So you, you might you might want to check Chrome and Safari, make sure we're not trusting those certs, right? But I, yeah, and I don't I don't think they will like in right, in general. But I, other regimes have done this in the past, right? And it's, it's it is very much an information control and being able to um, see what people are saying, even outside of public like news channels and other things. Um, uh, yeah. 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 I, it, it, it's pretty chilling. What do you think the odds happen. are that's going to go backwards once, once this conflict is uh, over? Oh, it won't. Right. Like once it's out, it's out. Right. And once they have, it, it, when has the government ever voluntarily given up control? Right. I, yeah. I, not, yeah. No, it's historically, very, very historically, right? historically. Like, yeah. 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 It takes, it takes, I, you I mean, mean people who risk. crave power and get power don't want don't to give away power once they got yeah. the power? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. I don't get it. <laughs> human human nature and history has taught us otherwise that, yeah. Once again, I'm sorry for my nine-year-old. <laughs> you're you're going to be way too cynical way too early in life. <laughs> uh, poor guy. No, but um, yeah, it's it's super weird, super odd to see uh, a self-signed certificate. But again, it's just, it's an interesting byproduct of this whole thing. And like tech companies, you know, um, effectively just pulling out of uh, doing anything for uh, Russia and being, you know, provider in any way for Russia. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff there, but also yeah. a little scary. I, I mean, along those lines though, as well, like you've seen VPN, um, traffic increases from Russia increased by like tens of thousands of percent, right? Because of that, as it's going on, you know, I, I they said somewhere that just the 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 banning of uh, Meta, right? So Facebook and Instagram in Russia caused an increase in VPN traffic of two thousand percent, two thousand percent. Um coming out of those countries do you think that's uh, a platform used for communicating i would imagine it's not because people are trying to you know um they're not like yeah they're not posting like everything like you would normally right like oh here's my food or you know i don't know i went to this event or i, I don't know it's probably more about yeah like, communicating and 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 what am i trying to say strategizing and logistics and, and stuff like that communicating stuff like that i'd imagine well, I, I mean, I think that's it. I think it's also news, right? Like being able to see mm. what um, what the world is seeing as opposed to just what's being broadcast on state-run media, um, right? Like, you know, there, there's alternate news sources that get pushed through those channels, through those social media sites. Um, so there's that. I, I also think there, like I've seen some activity around people that like were like that you that were like Instagram you know, leaders, whatever you want to call them, right? Like, you know, social media, you know, personalities that basically have now lost their job because they can't post anymore. 
right? Like I saw that. Yeah. I heard so about I, that I, rather. I'm, yeah. I, I think it's a combination of both, but uh, like just 2000% is pretty huge, right? From a VPN perspective. Um, it'd be interesting to watch what those stats are at each of the, you know, the VPN providers and um, like what the, what the capacity is coming out of those endpoints as opposed to, you know, other places and what it was two months ago. Um, yeah. One other thing I think that, that one other angle to this that we haven't really talked about yet is that Russia is allegedly, um, oh, they're allegedly spreading um, fake, they're fake fact checking is what I'm trying to say. They're fake fact checking uh, Ukrainian news sources and debunking uh, as misinformation or disinformation, depending on the context and the storyline or whatever, or like you know, the news. And uh, what they're doing is they're, they're, like I said, they're doing fake fact checking. And when you cut off rough, this article states, you know, 140 million people. So if you cut off 140 million people from being able to, and they're calling it the digital cur- uh, iron curtain. I like that. That's what I'll call it. So when you use a digital iron curtain to cut off 140 million people from news sources and you control the news, then, and you're the one saying what's information, you know, information, disinformation, misinformation, uh, you become the sole arbiter of the truth. And at least, you know, um, assuming people haven't found clever ways to, to get around these things. And I'm sure they have awesome. But uh, in any case, it's probably a small minority of people ha- who have the ability to actually like uh, access truthful information at that point. And the vast majority, you know, maybe are, are not that tech savvy. And, and, and so are limited to, you know, like I said, they're the, the arbiter of truth there, the, the Russian government. Yep. So there's, there's that added element to it. And it's uh, you know, to me, it seems like a very, um, these things all seem like a pretty uh, coordinated, pretty, um, a uh, strategic set of decisions. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to see how the cyber landscape is shaping, um, is having a big impact on, 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 on this conflict. Um, yeah, it's just, oh, it definitely you know, is. Yeah. Two, di- two worlds can colliding digital and uh, physical. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know the information warfare that's going on, right? Like the, you know, the propaganda that's coming out on both sides is, is, is really quite interesting to see. Um, I mean, we've always had information warfare going on during conflicts. uh, And now it's just extended out into the cyber realm more and more, as well as the attacks that are going on there. I mean, I'm still seeing, um, I'm still seeing articles about the IT army and the cyber warfare that's going on and anonymous that's, you know, targeting, you know, Russian installations and military and other things. So that's going back and forth in the background as well. It doesn't get as much play as the physical uh, efforts and the physical conflicts that's going on rightfully. So, right. Uh, You know, like the, when there's real death and, you know, other, you know, bullets that are flying back and forth, that's probably where the focus should be. But it'll be interesting to see in 10 years what the what the research is coming out of this first real cyber war that's going on, right? Full mm-hmm. scale. Um, because I, yeah, and there's stuff that's going down on both sides. I, I don't know how much instability it's introduced uh, from a, 
from a you know application security perspective, you're running a an app for a company, or you know you're trying to secure your own products. Um, how much more do you need to think about availability in that CIA triad than you did two months ago? Right? Uh, distributed denial of service attacks have increased. How do you prevent that? Are you using you know Cloudflare or something else to help mitigate it? Like how much can you actually how much can you actually take? Uh, without shutting down. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think and so it just dealt with uh, a huge DDoS yeah. attack. And it's it's all these little attacks, not little attacks, pretty significant attacks, all kind of, there's so many of them. Like if you look at the security news right now, there's so many of them. It's actually like not even, like where would we begin? We'd have to start every episode going through a laundry list of places that have had some serious, it used to be you and I, when there was like a serious exploit or serious, we would talk about it, but these days, it's like there right now. There's just yeah. There's too many attacks that are, that have gone on. That's like one when you said DDoS. Made me think of the the recent Israel DDoS. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like every, literally every day. There's multiple big thing breaches, attacks going on. It's hard to even keep up with. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, well, that, that that that's where I'm going with the research aspect, right? we don't fully understand all the attacks that are happening, why they're being successful. Um, if some of these players are pulling out uh, custom, custom exploits, custom code, like stuff that they've kept in their back pocket for the past couple of years right now, because it's the time to use it. Um, and, you know, it's hidden inside of all of the breaches inside all of the DDoS attacks that are going on. Um, and so things like even this article coming out of China that they are like starting to observe all that traffic, that they're issuing their own TLS certificates, that has a significant impact on the privacy of hundreds of millions of people. And yet, I, like, that's the first article that I've seen on it. And it's pretty like it feels pretty small in comparison to everything else that's going on. But it has a very significant risk moving forward to stability and to privacy for everyone, not just the hundred, a couple hundred million people that it directly affects. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it, it, it's becoming a nihilist episode, a bitch and nihilism mm. episode apparently can, but. No, I think we're living through an interesting time in history. I'm about sick of living through interesting times in history, but we are. And uh, it's, as cybersecurity practitioner, I hate that, by the way, that term cybersecurity. cybersecurity. Have you ever liked that term? No. Because <laughs> whenever people ask me what I do, you know, because you and I, we started early, early on before this was, I mean, I wasn't even, when I was hacking on things, it wasn't even, there wasn't even a profession for this. You were just a criminal, basically. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, same for you, I'm sure. So it's like, all right, well, you know. No, now, how old are you? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so uh, when people, you know, they ask like inevitably, like, what, what do you do or whatever, right? I'm always like, oh, some, well, a lot of times now I just say I'm like a hacker or whatever, but, uh, um, or I work in software security, but, uh, like people will always be like, oh, y y so you work in cybersecurity, right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, just don't ever say that to me, please. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I hate that term. It's like you and Jots. Like, I just don't like the name cybersecurity. It's just cyber, cyber. <laughs> well, or yeah, infosec. 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 Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. I work uh, application yeah. security. Security. But if you say application security to the layman, then it's just a glazed overlook. I have no idea. I'm like, I, t- I teach about. developers how not to get hacked. Yeah. That's, that's my, yeah. That's the go-to, right? Um, I just tell people I look for vulnerabilities in code, mm-hmm. you know, as a description. And uh, so then it comes back to, so you're in cybersecurity, huh? Yep. Don't know why I hate it so much, but I just cannot stand that term. So I'm going to label this episode uh, 165 <laughs> Cybersecurity <laughs> Cyber Kid. <laughs> I don't even know how I got off on that tangent. But yeah, anyways, I just don't like the term. It seems so lame and artificial and invented. And yeah, anyway, I mean, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, IT janitor. IT there janitor. we go. Yeah, that's honestly, yes. I think you're. Also glorified Q, QA. I think that's glorified also QA tester. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do QA just poorly. <laughs> I don't document well. I'm a Unix guy who loves computers. Yes, that works exactly. Yeah. Unix, so Linux. One. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Except, yeah. I, I mean, nowadays, Unix, people would probably recognize that term at least a little bit more. Uh, back when I started, I said Unix and they looked at me like I was, you know, nuts. So because that's the only thing that could be described as a eunuch, right? Like, yeah. You're what now? I remember there was a point where people, when they'd ask you like, oh, what operating system? You know, you're like Linux or Unix. I remember this. There were people just look at you like, oh, so you live in your mom's basement. Cool. Sounds yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> like, how's that neck beard coming? Yeah. Now it's like very normal, very... Like I have friends that aren't even like in IT that run Linux, Unix, and they're like, oh yeah, it's just, it's cool. I like, I installed it because it was fun and try something yep. different. Cool. It's okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we've been all over the map today. Um, we, we didn't really get to have. the end of passwords. Uh, we'll do that next week. Uh, you know, we'll talk about passwords and how, how they will be no more. Um. Not really. We need to talk about uh, WebAuth yes. then a bit too. On that note, we we that's yeah. a topic that we had like I like probably a year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago. We were like, we I know I said it. I know I think we both said it. Like we should talk about WebAuth then, and we just haven't. So yeah, WebAuth then would be a good one. We could do a walkthrough on that because um, there's a lot of good stuff that's out there on it. Passwords in general. Um, I yeah. It, I don't want to di- dive into it too much because I have a differing opinion, right? Like I, I, I know we've got this whole like push to, Oh, we're going to get rid of passwords. And um, I was going to show a list of like, you can Google end of passwords and you know, they've been saying it for 20 years, right? But we're not going to have to use passwords anymore, but we'll get into that at a later date. Um, but web end would be good. I want to talk more about web three stuff too, at some point. Yeah. Ken. Um, yes, there's there's a lot going on there. I'm doing some reviews of, you know, different blockchain coins and, you know, DEXs and things like that. And it's it's spurred a lot of thoughts that I would like to discuss at some point. Right. Because it's um, the distributed nature of Web3, like what they're promising. I, I mean, it, it it's fascinating to me, but it also gives me like pause because there's huge concerns related to it, especially in the normal paradigm of, you know, the CIA triad, the AAA, um, like just normal security principles. Uh, blockchain is not a 
it's not a magic bullet for solving security problems. Um, we've we've already seen that, and so like anyone assuming that we're not going to have cross-site scripting because we're on blockchain is, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we have topics that are up and coming. We'll decide on one next week, and maybe we'll socialize it a little bit, put it out, see if people have questions on it. Um, I think WebAuthn and passwords is probably a great place to start. And then we can do a little research on the web three stuff for an upcoming episode as well. Yeah. And whenever we have a couple uh, guests too, guests. Who, yeah. who you're lining up too. So we'll, we'll have to kind of chop it up and uh, yeah, figure it out. So like maybe one week will be one piece of the topics we discussed just now. And then maybe I guess the next we'll, we'll figure it out, but we'll, it's, we've got a lot, this year should be fun. So we've got a lot going on. We're back to traveling. I figure while we're at Locomocosec, we can definitely do some uh, podcasting, um, interviewing of, of folks. Uh, we're going to have like access to some really great minds within product security, uh, the product security field. So I think, um, you know, expect some some shows too while we're on the road. So it's going to be it's going to be a more fun year than the last uh, in terms of like travel and meeting people and stuff like that. It's probably probably a little bit more active than the last couple of years. So. Definitely yep. Like- yeah. Yep. It's a good year. It's going to be fun. So great. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. Um, everything's not the worst, right? Uh, just, yeah, <laughs> just some things are. So yeah, <laughs> we'll catch everybody online. Join us on, you know, Twitter or Slack or whatever else. If you have, have more that you want to talk about, but we appreciate the views and we appreciate the, the interaction. So uh, absolutely. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for being with us today. Catch everybody next week.